The following program was pre-recorded on WFAN. It's time for Hello, My Name is Craig, our weekly candid conversation about gambling addiction. It's supported by the Council on Compulsive Gambling of New Jersey, 800-GAMBLER. Now, here's Craig Carton. Good morning and welcome to another edition of Hello, My Name is Craig. Craig Carton with you and for the next 30 minutes, an open, frank conversation about gambling and gambling addiction. Not to bring you down... Obviously, this holiday weekend, but as you know and may have uh, thought at some point along the way, you know, addiction and recovery to addiction doesn't take any days off. So, as we do enjoy this three-day holiday weekend and July 4th and fireworks and barbecue, we do it understanding that, you know, every day is another day we try to wake up and go to sleep without gambling. Now, my guest today is one of the first guests we ever had on this show. His name is Phil. He is a compulsive gambler as well. And horse racing was his downfall. And I wanted to bring Phil on today for a very specific reason, which you'll hear in just a second. Phil, good morning. How you doing? I'm doing great, Craig. Thanks for having me on again. And uh, to everyone, uh, happy uh, long July 4th weekend. For sure, for sure. What? Uh, how many years, days, months have you been uh, without gambling? I'm a little over four years. It was uh, April of 2017, my last uh, wager. All right, what I want to do, I want to give people an idea today, and we, we know your story, so we don't need to go over it again, you know, the specifics of of how you started gambling, but I think it's important for people that might be listening to the show who are just getting into recovery, who are taking that very first and most difficult step of recognizing they have a problem. I want to, I want them to understand that there is a light at the end of the tunnel, that the journey does work and can work. And as daunting as it may seem today, once you take that first step, there's a lot of really good stuff and really good people there for you as soon as you take that first step. So I was hoping you would kind of walk us through your first step and when you first decided to get help. Yeah, I first decided to get help probably way back around uh, 2000, and I had a a stretch of over 10 years without a wager, Um, but I wasn't working uh, any particular program, at least not working it well and not taking it seriously enough. But now, as I just said, I have over four years, and I'm taking it seriously every day. And I know a lot of people want to get right from – day one to recognizing they have a problem to some sort of finish line that they're cured. And that can be a frustrating part of uh, this addiction that you're never cured. You just have it arrested and have it under some sort of control. Yeah, there's an avoidance mechanism to it. We avoid gambling. We try not to gamble. We try to get through today not gambling. And if we do it today, we try to do it again tomorrow. Um, You know, for me... You know, and I've said this uh, many times over the course of my return to radio uh, back in November. You know, I denied having a problem, and I was scared, frankly, of taking that very first step uh, for a lot of reasons. I think part of it was ego. I didn't want to admit that I had a problem. Part of it thought I could figure it out, and I would one day figure out how I could go back to a blackjack table and do it responsibly. Um, And three... I was in denial about it, which probably goes back to the ego part of this as well. But I do remember the very first room I went to, and in, in regards to that, I'm speaking about GA. And I remember trying to find the most out-of-the-way, obscure, 
no one could possibly be here this time of day so that I could, you know, go through the motions of saying to my loved ones, all right, I went to a GA meeting, and I found a church in Jersey, and it was 6 o'clock in the morning. It was a weekday, and it was the basement of this church, and I walked in, and there were five other people that came into that room, and I was scared to death. Yeah, and I, I think, and I can't speak for everyone, but I know other people have had similar uh, occurrences happen where they don't want to admit it, maybe even to themselves. So, yeah, I'll go to a different state or I'll go to a meeting so far away from my home. No one's going to know me there. It's at a weird time. If people are checking up on me, I can say I went. Maybe I'll duck out early or I won't even walk in. And I hear those stories all the time from people in recovery. And, you know, we're, we think we're unique when we're in action. When we're in recovery, a lot of people are going through the same thing. Yeah, and that was the life-changing thing for me. When I sat in, uh, at the Algamas Rehab Center in Prescott, Arizona, and we had uh, you know, 12 or so uh, men and women uh, from all over the country in the room, and each one of them stole the words and the feelings out of my mouth, out of my heart, out of my soul. And I was like, wait a minute. Did you guys read a story about me? Did I say that somewhere? It was verbatim, word for word. Everything I thought that was so unique about my experience was nothing special at all. And the amount of money didn't matter either. I always thought it did, but it didn't. And I can honestly say, once I took the first step, as scared as I was, as upset as I was, as mad as I was about kind of being forced, because I was, I was forced into doing it, you know, legal reasons, you know, family reasons, all the, you know, stereotypical reasons why people might take that first step. Once I accepted that there was nothing special about me, it got a lot less scary. Same for you? Oh, absolutely. And you're taking the words out of my mouth now. And the level of gambling didn't matter. I've, I've, met people who were gambling a couple dollars a day on scratch-offs and people that were, you know, sitting down at a table and betting $10,000 a hand. And, uh, you know, just a lot of people in between. I'm one of the people in between. But if you don't have the money to pay for your gambling losses, it doesn't matter if that loss is $5 or $5 million. We go through the same amount of stress. Right, which is why if you couldn't gamble on credit, there would be a lot less people like us out there, in my opinion. Um, oh, that's not even an opinion. That's a, that's a fact. If, if you couldn't gamble uh, with other people's money or on credit, there'd be fewer people doing it. And that's, you know, the casinos or whatever uh, company or agency you're dealing with that will give you that kind of credit. Um, you know, that they know that too. They're yeah. not dummies. Like I used to say, like, I don't blame anybody but myself. The casinos did, you know, you know, did they enable me? I guess possibly. But what's not their fault that I became an addict and wanted to gamble? But you know, I do, looking back on things with great clarity now, as I contemplate, you know, the involvement some of the casinos had in my gambling, you know, when, when you've got, you know, $75,000 liquid in the bank, which is a lot of money for a lot of people, sure. But when you have $75,000 in total available liquid funds to you and a casino says, hey, if you come into our place, we'll give you a million-dollar line of credit. You know, <laughs> it, 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 that, 
that math doesn't make sense. Right. It, it never it, does. It, it, it never does. And no matter how much I was making at, at work at a certain period of time, it always came down to, well, I got a friend or two. Maybe I can ask for 100 200 bucks. Right. And they don't know my condition as well as maybe they should or they figure I can't get into trouble with that. It always came down to that, whether whether I had a deficit of, you know, four figures, five figures. I never quite got to six figures, but I found those people who I knew would give me a couple hundred dollars just so I could play more. So before we get to the the bright light, the good stuff, the positive stuff that you've experienced stuff. and the great <laughs> stuff, I agree, that, that, that I'm now getting to experience as well, being just a couple weeks over uh, three years without uh, making a wager of any kind, um, I want to go down just, if you, if you don't mind, to the darkest day. And for you, was the darkest day uh, the last time you gambled or was the darkest day having to tell somebody that you had a problem? Oh, that's a that's a tough comparison. I mean, they were both pretty dark. I, w- I would say having to tell my loved ones that I did it again. It wasn't. I wasn't one and done. I wasn't. Uh, unfortunately, I haven't had one recovery. I've had starts and stops along the way. Mm-hmm. I certainly hope my last stop is my last stop, but. Um, Having to tell loved ones is uh, is and was the hardest for me. Yeah, I agree because uh, all the things they may have suspected or thought, you know, come come to fruition. All the things they, you know, all the negative things, all the the lies you've told, it's now out there. And I agree. The last loss was not my worst day. You know, sadly, you know, my last loss was a thirty thousand dollar loss in uh, Valley Forge, uh, Pennsylvania. You know, and two days before that. I won six figures. So the loss wasn't the worst day. I could I could deal with the loss. It was, hey, everybody that loves me, sit down. I've got a story to tell you. you know, yeah, that I, was the I, toughest day. I, I was having a hard time deal, dealing with what came from that last loss. And, and dealing with, oh, I got to face people. I got to face creditors. I got to face loved ones. Uh, I, I got to face myself. And I got to look in the mirror and say, you know, you got to do it right this time. You got to do recovery correctly this time, and that's hard. And facing ourselves can be the can be the roughest move of all. Well, the good news is that Phil did do it. I'm doing it, and thousands of others are doing it. And like you said, there's a great life on the other side of that uh, tunnel. We're going to describe what that's like right after this on Hello, My Name is Craig. Back to more of Hello, My Name is Craig on The Fan with your host, Craig Carton, and supported by the Council on Compulsive Gambling of New Jersey, 800-GAMBLER. All right, welcome back to Hello, My Name is Craig, joined by uh, Phil, also a compulsive gambler. Let's get to the good stuff, Phil, because people listening right now, now and i say this a lot on this show you know there's three different people there's people that are just now starting to recognize they or loved one have a problem and it's all new to them and it's really scary then there's people who are in the middle of it who are now getting comfortable and figuring out life without gambling and then there's people like you and i who still go day by day but we've got enough time behind us where we've been able to successfully return to life and a good life without gambling. Describe what a good life is for you. Well, two big words. It's happier, it's healthier, and you've used this word on on this show a lot. It's simpler. 
Yep. And keeping it simple is not a bad thing. When in action, I was always, oh, this, it'll be less exciting if I try to give up gambling. And it is less exciting. But that's a good thing for me, for us, for people who have this addiction. Keep it simple. Do make good decisions, decision at a time. I don't have to take on 2021 forward. I have to take on today. And I can do that. I can take on 24 hours. Some people can't early in recovery. Take on an hour. I'm, I'm going to do something for an hour. I'm going to get on the phone with someone who I know cares about me and talk for half an hour. It helps so much. Keep recovery as simple as possible. Life's going to be hard enough, but keep the recovery easy if you can. And it's not an easy recovery, but it can be simple. Yeah, boring is good. Boring, boring is, is awesome. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> it's amazing. And for those of you that are listening that are in the middle of it right now, what you will find, I think, I, I could speak for myself, I think Phil would say the same thing, is the amount of mental and emotional energy and space that you suddenly open up when you're not worried about where you're gambling, how you're gambling, where the money's coming from, who you owe money to, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It was so all-consuming that when you're not doing it, for me, to be completely honest, it took me a while to get used to all the open space I had. Here's what I'm going to compare it to. If you've ever seen the Seinfeld episode where, for some reason or another, George has to give up having sex but he has 90% of his brain back and he can do physics and math and he can hit home <laughs> runs in Yankee stadium right. because he has all that brain power. Now that's what I have. And I'm not saying I'm some sort of genius. I'm saying I have this time to do the things I didn't have time for before. And I have my priorities straight and things are far from perfect, but darn it. They're a whole lot better. Yeah, that took me a while. That that was a, a hurdle for me, for sure, to um, all of a sudden replace just all that time, you know, emotion and energy that was spent, that I spent on gambling. And I, when I say that, not just sitting at the table, all the things it took to get me to the table. And then win or losing, all the things I had to deal with, you know, after I gambled. And it did take me, I mean, I would say several months to get to a place where I could just sit and be still and recognize, hey, I have nothing I have to worry about right now. In the moment, this is pretty good. This is going to sound a little bit like what you were going through, but it took me two or three days to figure out how I was going to get an hour or two to go gamble. And then it took me two or three days after I had that hour or two to figure out how I'm going to pay gambling losses or hide gambling wins or act normal. And God, it's just not worth it. Just free up that time, do something productive, do some charity work, make some phone calls to people going through the struggle. And, you know, your life's a whole lot better. It's not even a comparison. What was it like for you during the pandemic when uh, your group, the one that I you know found and felt very comfortable with, uh, was not able to meet in person. How did you guys find uh, the kind of virtual Zoom-type meetings? That... Well, yeah, and, uh, and uh, Dan's mentioned that. A lot of groups had to go to uh, leaving their room temporarily to get into an online 
format. Right. And that was dangerous for people who did a lot of gambling online. Uh, they were in their online recovery room, and that didn't seem the same as sitting in a with a group of people. And we happen to be back now, but I know not every room is. So if anyone out there is interested in going to a room, uh, call the 800 number, uh, find a room if you can in person. But if you can't, there are some still uh, working online. And um, But for our group, our group stayed together. In a, in a pretty good percentage and and has some new people as well. So I, I feel our group's done a good job. Some groups have done a great job. Some probably haven't done as well. And that's, sure. that's going to be the story around the country. And, I, and sure. I should say to people, I think it's important, um, it's okay to shop around. You, know, you don't have to just find one room and feel like you're, uh, you know, you've got a, uh, a handcuff to that one room. There are rooms throughout you know, New Jersey, New York, Connecticut, uh, you know, wherever you're listening to this show, whatever city you might live in, there are for sure multiple rooms multiple times. You know, I didn't find a room I was comfortable in until several months into my search, whether it was New York City. I went to a couple rooms. I didn't like them. You know, New Jersey, a couple rooms didn't feel comfortable in them. And it wasn't until I went to uh, the room that Phil is in. Uh, that I found just a group of people I felt comfortable with. So it's okay to not, you know, just say yes to the very first room. I want people to know that. You can shop it around a bit until you feel good. Absolutely, and no one will give you a hard time with that. And uh, someone from a room you visit may give you a phone call or two to, to follow up, but we're not offended if you try our room or any room and then move around to to a room that fits you better. And I'm sure people have wandered into the room I regularly go to and wandered out, and I never see them again. Yep. But hopefully they found something. And before I let you go, and I appreciate your time today, and hopefully you and your family will enjoy the, uh, the holiday weekend. Uh, and I know this could seem somewhat redundant, but you're living proof that you can, you can make it work. You can live a productive life. You can rebuild relationships with wives and children and family members and loved ones. You just got to be honest to start that process. Well, sometimes the guests on this Saturday show make me come to tears and uh, you're doing it to me now. And it's just an awesome thing. If you can find it, please, I encourage everyone out there who's listening uh, like Craig says, it doesn't have to be GA. It has to be some sort of recovery. But uh, if you see that blurb in the last couple seconds of a, of a TV ad uh, to call for help, call for help. Make a couple phone calls. Call a friend. Tell them you're having a, an issue and work your way through it. Get through today and then take on tomorrow, tomorrow. Uh, Phil, I appreciate it. Uh, I will see you uh, one of these Saturdays for sure. And uh, thanks so much for spending a few minutes with us this morning. Appreciate it very much. Anytime, Craig. Thank you. You know, it's funny. July 4th weekend, for most people, you think of fireworks and hot dogs and hamburgers and Americana. And, hey, you know, this year we've got the Subway Series Mets and Yankees. For me, July 4th weekend reminds me of one of the lowest points of my, uh, of my gambling. Now, my big problem was blackjack gambling. You know, I gambled on sports throughout my entire life, 
But I wasn't compulsive about gambling on sports. I was compulsive about gambling on blackjack. But I will never forget, you know, July 4th weekend. Uh, I had an online account. Um, I'm sure the website was illegal at the time. Uh, because, you know, the online wagering had not been legalized yet. But I, there was an online site I could go to that I could wager. And I could do regular wagering, and I could also do in-game wagering. For those of you that don't know what in-game wagering is, literally you could bet on every pitch. You could bet on every possession of a basketball game. You could bet on every single action in the middle of it, and the odds would change, you know, pitch to pitch to pitch, that type of thing. And I'll never forget that I made about half a dozen wagers in about 10 minutes. And I wasn't wagering on basketball because basketball was done. I wasn't wagering on baseball <clears throat> because there was a, you know, a time of day baseball wasn't being played. Hockey was done, not that I know enough about hockey to bet on it. But I decided to wager on a Wimbledon uh, tennis event, a match, a singles match, and I wagered on some type of Mexican soccer league. Again, that I knew nothing about. But I wanted to have action. I needed to have action. So I went on the site, and I put you know, thousands of dollars at risk on a, uh, on a tennis match and on Mexican soccer. And I laugh about it now because it's just so stupid. You know, but I needed to wager so badly... And I wasn't anywhere near a casino that particular weekend. I wasn't going to Atlantic City or up to uh, you know, Connecticut. I wasn't getting on a plane and flying to the Bahamas. I was sitting in my house. It was July 4th weekend. We were probably playing softball and wiffle ball, having a barbecue, and enjoying a three-day weekend. But I, I couldn't enjoy a three-day weekend. I couldn't just sit at home with my wife and kids and enjoy their company. I couldn't enjoy the success I had in life. I couldn't enjoy being number one on the radio. I needed something more, and that something more was going to be gambling. So I gambled on anything I could possibly find. In this case, it was a tennis match, and it was a Mexican soccer game. I honestly couldn't even tell you if I won or lost. I don't remember the actual results, so I'm just going to assume that I lost. If I lost all the money I did, if I didn't, I don't remember. But I do remember making the wager. And I remember tr trying to figure out how I was going to get the scores of the Mexican soccer games. Now, the tennis scores were easy. I could go online in a second or go on my phone, and I could find out if Serena Williams won a match or whomever it was. But I didn't know how to check on the Mexican soccer league. And then I had this terrible feeling come over me. And the feeling was that the website, which, again, was illegal. It wasn't registered with the state of New Jersey or New York. It was an offshore website that allowed people to wager on sports, okay? I started to have this terrible feeling that the Mexican soccer games didn't exist, that they were invented games, and whatever side I bet on was going to lose and I could never check it. Like, how are you going to check it? I went on CBS Sports Line. I went on ESPN.com. I went on Fox Sports. I went to every sports website you could possibly find, trying to then, after I made the bet, and it was a couple grand, a couple thousand dollars, I tried to then find some type of proof 
that the game was going on. And eventually, and it took a, a lot longer than I wanted it to, I proved that the teams did exist and they were playing that day. Now, I couldn't get the results until the game was over. Like, there was no in-game, oh, your team's up one nothing. you're down 2-1. And it wasn't until the games themselves got graded as wins or losses that I knew what the status of the game was. And I'll never forget that July 4th weekend, like, pacing around. And again, it wasn't life-changing money for me at the time. It was just action. And I'll never forget... You know, spending hours all day on my phone trying to find out if such and such a team somewhere in Mexico that I've never heard of won or lost the game that I wasn't even sure was being played. And when I look back on those moments, when I look back on those decisions, that's when I really want to beat myself up a lot. It's when I, I start considering all the bad decisions I made, all the the dumb thoughts I had, all the, the egotistical, cocky decisions I made because I was just better than everybody else at gambling. And that really manifested itself more for me at a blackjack table as opposed to sports gambling, but there came a point where it didn't matter. Money in the bank wasn't good for me. That money had to be in play. And yeah, I look back and I kind of wish I had taken a risk on the stock market or bought cryptocurrency when it was at like a dollar. And all the other opportunities I was given to buy real estate, invest in companies and ideas, and think about where I would be today. And those are the memories that drive me to stay sober now, sober from gambling. Those are the memories, the lost opportunities, the lost moments with family and loved ones, the financial problems I have now as a result of what I did three, four, and five years ago, those are the driving forces of me making sure I never go back down that road again. Plus, the fact that when I woke up this morning, I woke up with my family in the same building I was in. And that alone is powerful enough for me to never, ever do it again. Because I got very lucky at getting the second chance at my job. But even luckier that I have a second chance at keeping my family together. So if you're going to take that first step, and you do need to, you have to. It starts with being honest. And my word to you is that if you put in the work and you remain honest and you remain forthright about who you were and who you want to be, you can get it all back. I'm in the beginning stages of getting it all back. But I know for sure then I can get it back because I'm putting in the work and I'm being honest. That's why the name of the show is Hello, My Name is Craig. I'm a compulsive gambler. I own it. I own it. And I no longer have any shame in the fact that I am a compulsive gambler. I hope the show meant something to you. I hope the show does every week. It means a lot to me. It's like therapy for me a lot of days. And in the future coming weeks, we'll have more stories from compulsive gamblers and their families. More experts will join us as well. And I hope that it helps you. And if we can help one person out there, you'll get help for compulsive gambling. Then this show is more than worth it. Thanks for letting us into your homes. Kim Jones is next right here on The Fan.